Gabriel, can you hear me? Yeah, yeah, I had to unmute us there. So we are unmuted. We're rocking and rolling now. My hair is a little disheveled. Um, really? Well, you look great to me. And I've got my lights doing psychedelic disco things. I have no idea what's going on. We're having a little technical difficulty. Immediately prior to the programming, the technical difficulty originating on my end with trouble connecting with my microphone and lighting the camera. And nice. It feels like a little John Travolta going on here. A little disco fever. Yeah. <laughs> oh, how you like that one? Yeah, your yeah, sound is too. I wonder if you go to cam mic in the system. What what lights are blinking? Is it the police outside? Are you in trouble? I have this brand new, you know, this disc light thing. Yeah. It goes on the computer. It's supposed to make it so much better for, you know, how I look on computer. Yeah. So let yeah. me just, it's got way too many um, buttons is the problem. Okay. Stop it now. Stop it. I'm going to go out here and let's just see if it just rests. Okay. Yeah. That looks let's great. just see if it'll rest for a second. Okay. Your sound is a little off. I wonder if you can go to mic. Oh, yeah. Uh, going to mic. No, on your computer, I mean, the for the stream. Oh, yeah. And, uh, Click cam and mic and make sure the mic, the right mic is selected. Oh, it says default. I don't want default. I want my Yeti microphone. Oh, that's much better. Is it? Oh, great. Okay. Okay. So we're good. Yeah. We apologize, folks. This is, this is what happens when uh, two amateurs get on the, the internet and start causing some trouble. We rabble rousers us. And we are going to cause so much trouble tonight. Bill yeah. Real. Because we've got a great show tonight. It's jam-packed. We've got lots of audio-visual materials. Hopefully those will work better since you're in charge of them than the stuff on my end. But I, I, anything can happen. There's yeah. Live. And I'll tell you, the title of tonight's show is The Rules of the Game. Not to be confused with ABBA's hit song, The Name of the Game. This is Mormonism's hit song, The Rules of the Game. And I came up with these rules the other night. By the way, I do want to let our audience know that at some point, I thought it was going to be tonight. Of course, I also thought it was going to be last week. We're going to talk a little bit about audience um, emails or comments on prior podcasts. I want to get to those. Really, I do. And I promised people I would. I don't think we're going to be able to get to it tonight because once a germ of an idea comes up, and you're the source of the germ of this idea, Bill, and you gave it to me, and all of a sudden it blossomed into something much uh, more complex, unfortunately, on my end. I came up with... Um, the rules of the game. And let me go ahead. By the way, I, I thought it was brilliant. And you and I have had several conversations this week. And really, I love your creative mind. I love how you pick things out. And this was good. Well, thank you. It all started with this, um, this new uh, video that the church put out. I think within the past month, it's for the youth. And it's about, you know, one of these things about how you deal with the questions and where you look for truth. And it's got Elder Oaks intoning from a prior conference talk that you have to be cautious where you search for truth and um, and how you search for truth. And then um, I was driving to work uh, yesterday morning and all of a sudden all these pieces started falling into place. It was like Elizabeth Harmon watching the chess piece, the chess pieces move around on the ceiling. If you've seen the Queen's Gambit, all of a sudden these things were coming into play and they just landed nicely. And I think this is what we have here, these are the rules of the game. There are five rules there from the point of view of the leadership of the church, all right? Rule number one, we are going to hide stuff from you. Rule number two, we are going to try to keep you from finding the stuff we are hiding from you. Rule number three, we will lie about hiding stuff from you. Rule number four, you can't blame us for hiding stuff from you. And rule number five, if you talk about the things we are hiding from you, we will hide you. You'll get See, hit yourself. 
Yes. And then I put in parentheses after that. See rule number two. Yeah. Because, of course, rule number two is we're going to try and keep you from hiding the stuff we are hiding from you. So if you start talking about the stuff they're hiding from you, then the church will hide you. Yeah, I know a few people have been hidden away. You know what I mean? No, what do you mean? What are you talking about, Mr. Ex-Mormon? I was excommunicated. Oh, I heard about that. Yeah, it happened. No, and and that's actually, we'll get to that. Because what we're going to do is we're going to break down all of these different rules. Now, this isn't something that just sort of came into my mind in terms of, oh, I'm just making this up. We are going to provide documentation from the horse's mouth, i.e. clips and materials and quotes from different church leaders under each of these headings as we go through. So we've collected all these, we put them together in some sort of format, and hopefully we'll be able to do that without too much trouble. Now, this idea about you being excommunicated and other people being excommunicated, that is a very effective way that the church has of hiding people who talk about the things that the church is hiding because, um, you know, like it or not, if you get that scarlet letter A emblazoned upon you, the A not for adultery, but in this case for apostate, all of a sudden, members of the church, they know that they need to shy away from you. They know that you are no longer a credible source for information about the LDS church. Right. Yeah, we are taught to trust insiders only. And so you simply make somebody an outsider and they're no longer trustable. Absolutely. And so I don't even know why I have anything to do with you, actually, at this point. But I do. I'm out. Hmm. I do. I think what, what would Jesus do as opposed to what would Elder Oaks do? What, what, what Mormon Jesus or what, what are you? <laughs> the Jesus I read about in the New Testament. Yeah, that, that guy. That guy's pretty good. I like. He's him. okay. Jesus yeah. is just all right with me. He's a cool kid. Okay, so are we are, are we ready to go? Because we're going to go with rule number one right now, which is we are going to hide stuff from you. So the first thing I want to talk about is we got three quotes here. Now we're going to start with Boyd K. Packer. His is the most famous. It's from 1981, August 22nd, 1981. He is addressing the religious educators at the CES Church Education System Symposium at BYU. And his the talk, the talk of his title is The Mantle is Far, Far Greater Than the Intellect. It's either that or the title of his talk. Everybody knows about this. Now, this is a primer in not only the fact that Boyd K. Packer is an apostle, knows about things that are not faith-promoting relating to church history. He's not going to talk about them specifically, but he is going to inveigh against all the other church teachers, both at BYU as well as institute, seminary, the whole nine yards, to not write or talk about or even whisper about any of these negative aspects of church history, and that if they do, they will be looking probably for a new job and likely spending eternity in a very warm place. And I'm not making this stuff up. Read it. I did an entire episode on it. In fact, it was the very first episode of Radio Free Mormon. And I think it was called The Great Church History Cover-Up. It dissects and breaks down that one talk. But the most famous, the most famous bumper stick slogan from that talk is known to many. And that's just the this phrase, some things that are true are not very useful. Most people have heard that. But that, that saying is emblematic of the entire talk. But really, you got to read the entire talk to see exactly what it is that he's getting at. It is exactly what he's talking about is bad church history needs to be hidden and kept from the members. And I'm enlisting your aid in doing so. So if you can go to, we, there is no audio 
of this talk of which I'm aware. However, it was published in, I'm sorry? It's up on the screen, by the way. So. Oh, thank you. I'm sitting here looking at my outline. So let me go over here. Okay. Oh, good job. So this is available on the church website, churchofjesuschrist.org, right? It's available on the church website. It was also published in BYU Studies uh, shortly after it was given. If you get to the second caution, you will find this. Now, where it has that little thing in uh, small writing up there under second caution, he's got like four or five cautions. That is part of his talk, okay? That's not something that was added there later. This is something that is in the body of his talk, or at least in the text of it as it was published in BYU Studies. There is a temptation for the writer or the teacher of church history to want to tell everything, whether it is worthy or faith-promoting or not. Some things that are true are not very useful. So remember, this is all under rule number one. We are going to hide things from you. This is part of it. This is a this is exhibit A. This is the smoking gun on that issue. And most people know it. What most people don't know, what fewer people know, is that this exact same idea and sentiment was repeated in the same venue three years later in 1984 by Elder Dallin H. Oaks. And he gave a talk. It was called Reading Church History. And he has a couple of great quotes from this talk. The first one is... Um, at timestamp 1623, this is a little less than two minutes. So it'll probably sound a lot longer because you know Elder Oaks. But listen to the beginning of it and you'll hear these quotes. He says, the fact that something is true is not always a justification for communicating it. That sounds a lot like what Elder Packer said, doesn't it? And if you listen to the very last line in this one uh, soundbite, he then finishes it with saying, some things that are true are not edifying or appropriate to communicate, which sounds even more like what Elder Packer said. Can you play that? And uh, we can all listen along and enjoy the rich tones of Elder Oaks as he tells us that uh, they're going to hide stuff from us. Okay, let's make sure you, you let me know if this sound comes through on your end. Okay. Satan can even use truth to promote his purposes. Truth can be used unrighteously. True facts, severed from their context, can convey an erroneous impression. Persons who make true statements out of an evil motive, such as those who seek to injure another, use the truth unrighteously. A person who preaches the truths of the gospel for the sake of riches and honor, Alma 1 and 16, commits the sin of priestcraft. Persons who reveal truths that they hold under obligations of confidentiality, such as medical doctors or lawyers or bishops who have heard confessions, are guilty of wrongdoing. And a person who learns some embarrassing fact and threatens to reveal it unless he is paid off, commits a crime we call blackmail, even if the threatened disclosure is true. Wait for it. The fact that something is true or not, the fact that something is true is not always a justification for communicating it. Boom. While instructing the Corinthians that was it. not to produce truth. Oh, was that it? I think that was it. Well, it didn't go quite to the 1812, but. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. You can go ahead. If you, well, let's go ahead and stop there. I think that makes the point. If people want to go listen to it in its entirety, they can. They'll find a lot of gems. 
We're actually going to pay it, play another gem from this uh, particular talk. By the way, by the way, um, it's important to note that we're talking about 1981 for Elder Packer, 1984 for Elder Oaks. In a second, we're going to be talking about 1985 for President Nelson, not president then, but now president the same, um, Russell M. Nelson, who gives a similar talk at the same venue and gives a similar message. But what's important to note here is that this is not ancient history, even though I was in my 20s at the time. Thank you very much. It's not ancient history. First off, although Elder Packer has passed away, two of these people are still alive. And not only are they alive, they're in the number one and number two slots in the LDS church. That's going to be President Nelson and Dallin H. Oaks. The second thing is that you can find these talks. They are on the church website. And in fact, at least for this first talk, Elder Packer's talk and the second one by Dallin H. Oaks, those are on the church website under seminary and institute teachers materials. These are the things that seminary and institute teachers are supposed to listen to and read prior to teaching about church history. So this is not ancient history. This is alive and well and going on right now in the LDS church with this message being sent out to the teachers. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that before we go to the second part from Elder Oaks talk? No, just just this idea that what you're sharing are these these quotes of LDS leaders essentially telling those who are going to be teaching the members that if you encounter something that's true, but it's not faith promoting, your job is not to share it. And there's no other way to understand that in a church that is full of problems and contradictory data than to know that these guys want the data hidden that would allow a member to deconstruct Mormonism and discover that it's not true. You're on mute. You're on mute. Uh, yes, this next soundbite, it's going to be very, very clear that he's going to say it is not the responsibility of the LDS church to tell both sides of the story. <laughs> now, to be fair, he's going to say anti-Mormons don't have that responsibility. Well, I was at the airport to meet. A oh, that's President Nelson. Oh, sorry. I, I put mute, but it still came on. So well, that's OK. Yeah. If we did just play this last uh, soundbite from Dallin H. Oaks, it's the same talk, but it starts at 2713 and it goes to 2736 where he's talking about balance. Uh, this one made my jaw drop the first time I heard it. I could not believe that Elder Oaks was being so open and, and transparent about the untransparency of the LDS Church. Disclosures. Number five, balance. Balance is not to be expected in either official Mormon or avowedly anti-Mormon literature. Neither has any responsibility to present both sides. Boom. Isn't that remarkable, Bill? Yeah, in, in this whole conversation here, he's talking about, at least in part, and he follows up on this at some later point, but he talks about how the media's job is to be balanced. The critic and the church are not responsibly balanced. But here's the trouble. Unless you're well-versed in all of this, you don't pick up on the fact that this recent talk that you uh, that we formed this entire episode around that Elder Oaks is suggesting that you should look for balanced sources and the whole video's content, and we'll get to it at the end and, and maybe somewhere else along the way, but 
the whole video's content is to help the member see that the church is the balanced source to get your data. But here we go back to 1985 and Elder Oaks is adamant that the church is not the place to get the balanced data. And, and so when you understand these mixed messages in various places and you understand what the audience is for each of the messages, you start to understand the deception that is going on. Yes, good point. And the reason that he's so open about this is because he's not talking about the church and uh, whether you can rely on the church or not. What he's doing is he's slamming the media yeah. throughout his talk because this is in the middle of the Mark Hoffman scandal and all the negative news stories, which he references in some places. And what he's doing is he's blasting the media for not giving both sides of the story, which he thinks would be fair. And he thinks he's getting the, or the church is getting the raw deal and only one side of the story being told. But it's in the context of not talking about himself or the church, slamming the media that he makes this rather amazing confession that the church does not have the responsibility to tell both sides of the story. The media does, that's the point he's making. But here's the confession where he says, hey, church, we don't have a responsibility to tell both sides of the story. So we certainly shouldn't expect it from him, even though in this recently released video, he's going to be counseling the young members of the church to be cautious in the sources that they look for. Obviously, they need to just focus on what the leaders say, even though back 37 years ago now, 37 years ago, he was quite clear that they're not going to tell you both sides of the story. Yeah. Just a quick uh, question. Was the audio coming through clear or was there like two audios of the same thing happening at the same time? Oh, I, it sounds a little bit fuzzy, but maybe I think that might be just the recording. Okay. I, I will try to keep the screen share audio muted because the device that we use so that you can hear the phone calls at the end should play the audio as well. So we'll try going forward to see if that works. Yeah. Thinker of Thoughts is saying that is the talk where Oaks tries to defend the salamander letter. Yeah, there is a part in that where he mentions a salamander. Uh, and upbraids the media for not mentioning the fact that a one definition of salamander is a fiery creature or a creature that lives in fire, right. as if that somehow makes it Moroni. Right. But um, but yes, very good thinker of thoughts. Excellent, excellent comment as usual. Um, so so we had the Elder Oaks, and now next year, 1985, once again at the same conference for the teachers of the church. It's very important they get this message across to the teachers of the church because they're the ones they need on their side in hiding it from the people, the members that they're teaching. And this is from Russell M. Nelson's talk, Truth and More, August 27th, 1985. It's on the church website. It was also reprinted in January 1986 Enzyme, back before it was the Liahona. Even though, did you know if you go on the church website right now and you look at the magazines and you go back to prior years, do you know that prior to this year now, everything is labeled as a Thaliahona? So it's not the Enzyme anymore, even in the back issues that were the Enzyme. Right. Everything is Liahona across the digital faces. Do you ever wonder if these guys, really the goal is to just make it harder for people like you and me to find the sources and to share them, um, to make it much more difficult to come across that old material? I don't know, but uh, did you ever think you might sound like Andy Rooney? You say, do you ever wonder why it is that they do this? <laughs> do you ever wonder why the Mormon church is always gaslighting its members? I mean, this is probably the most innocuous form of gaslighting I've ever seen is like pretending that it's always been the Leona. Like that's such a great name. I mean, we know that before 1970, it was the improvement era and then it got changed to the enzyme. I don't know why it is that we've got to go pretend that it's always been the Leona, but uh, you know, 
We do. Your Rooney impression was great. I almost wanted to hear a ticking clock before you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, okay. So we're to wrestle him now. So then we don't have, uh, no, we do have an audio link from his speech, don't we? And we have the, we have the, in writing, we also have it from BYU speeches and at timestamp 1807 to 1826. We have this wonderful quote from him and you should listen to the entire the entire talk, because this is like his manifesto for why it's okay to lie to the members of the church. Okay. Seriously. Go ahead. Who's to promote a false impression? Yes. Truth can even be used to convey a lie. Indeed, in some instances, the merciful companion to truth is silence. Some truths are best left unsaid. Boom. My dad, who is here, was and my mother often expressed that thought. Sorry. That's okay. Some truths are best left unsaid. Now, notice the common theme here. If you put all these sayings from Elder Packer, Elder Oaks, and Elder Nelson together, I just run through these real quick, okay? Number one, some things that are true are not very useful. Number two, some things that are true are not edifying or appropriate to communicate. And number three, some truths are best left unsaid. Does it sound like they're going off the same talking points here? And that's it's said in like a like a two and a half year or one and a half year time, right? Like this is these are all three boom, boom, boom. 81, 84, and 85, all for the teachers of the church. And you have the Mark Hoffman issue that happens in this same time frame. You've got um uh the church beginning to start to think about some of its liberal writers because September 6th is just in front of us by a few years. And so the church is sensing that people are beginning to write a more honest history and the church is having to come up with regulate rules and regulations to keep that material out of its members' eyes. Well, this is right at the time that they are shutting down Leonard Arrington's uh, role as the church That's historian. Good and they, yeah, they, they shut that down really at 1982. So Elder Packer, who was instrumental in having that shut down and having him transferred down to BYU, where he wouldn't be so much of a problem with his new church history, which meant real church history, which meant, I don't know, honest church history. They got that shut down. And then they start making all these comments because people are writing about things. Uh, D. Michael Quinn is beginning to write at this time. There's also uh, the authors of, um, I think, In Sacred Loneliness comes out in the 1980s. Uh, is it in Sacred Loneliness? That is that that's Compton, right? That's Todd Compton's book. Yeah, it's a uh, Mormon Enigma, the one about Emma Hale. Yeah, that's it. That comes out and um, in the 1980s. Yeah. So there, yeah, there's, there's a, authors, and they get in some trouble for doing it. Yes, yes. So that's the audio clips we have to support our assertion that the first rule that the church leaders have is we're going to hide stuff from you. So it's out of their own mouths. If you got a problem with that, you need to take it up with them, and I would suggest that you do. So now we can go to rule number two. And rule number two is we're going to try to keep you from finding the things we are hiding from you. And this is where we've got a couple of great quotes. And the first one is from this new church video featuring Elder Dallin Oaks. And if you look at this, you'll see it's framed in such a way. We're just going to play the first minute and 27 seconds. You can watch the rest of it yourself. We don't want to get in trouble with any copyright law. We're just going to do fair use on this. Um, Notice the visuals and how it is that you are, even in the visuals they're using, along with what Elder Oaks says, uh, you're being discouraged from researching things on the Internet and being uh, basically directed back to the church for your good source 
your only source for truth. This is breaking news. This just into our newsroom. It's tough to be able to discern what's true and what's not because you are being bombarded so much. On the internet, there's so many things that people are just throwing at you that it's just, they don't get to know the truth for themselves and it's just from what they see first. I think most people my age already know that not everything you read on the internet is true. So what I've learned was you look at the source. They can kind of be confusing sometimes because there's contradicting statements everywhere and you don't really know what to believe for yourself. You know, eventually, I guess it, there comes a point in everyone's life where you have to find out the truth for yourself. We live in a time of greatly expanded and disseminated information. We need to be cautious as we seek truth and choose sources for that search. We should not consider secular prominence or authority as qualified sources of truth. We should be cautious about relying on information or advice offered by entertainment stars, prominent athletes, or anonymous internet sources. Our personal decisions should be based on information from sources that are qualified on the subject and free from selfish motivations. There you go. I think that's the 127 mark, was it? Yeah, it was. What do you think he's getting at there? Let, let me just make a couple notes. One is that this is couched in a little bit of like the world's a crazy place. There's conspiracy theories out there. There's lots of false information. And you got to be careful on how you decide what's real and what isn't. The reality is the video is clearly speaking to critical material against the church. And you can sense that by all the video footage of people using scriptures and that being the backdrop of this video. So it's really, how do you, when you're being confronted with criticism about your belief system and its history, and how do you deal with sorting out what's true and what's not? The other thing is he says, you can't trust prominent uh, or like secular authorities. I, I love how he throws in the word secular. He doesn't want you to lump in religious authorities into the group. But you and I were talking on the phone this week. That's bullshit because the reality is that he is okay with you disregarding all the religious authorities. And they even showed him on the stage when they come out and have their, their head mic, you know, the little mic on their face and they come out to this, all this glitter and glamor. That's some kind of, uh, you know, TV evangelist or some type of large ministry preacher. Um, when you use secular and you say, don't trust these secular guys, you're intentionally leaving open religious leaders, but you're perfectly okay with your members throwing out every religious leader except for you. Right. You're not only okay with it. That's the preferred method. Right. And we'll have other quotes where that's actually taught that you need the source. You need to rely on modern prophets. This is no surprise to anybody who's a member of the church for more than 30 minutes. You, you get the message. You need to rely on the words of the living prophets. That's what rules. And so anything else that contradicts with that is to be disregarded. That's why you got to be cautious in your search for truth. I'll tell you, the first time I heard this, I thought, my gosh, you know, the search for truth, the, the last word, the last adjective or adverb, whatever it is, that I would use to describe a search for truth would be cautious. I think a search for truth should be robust. It should be expansive. It should be all-encompassing. Otherwise, you're going to leave open the very real possibility that at the end of it, you're going to have something other than the truth because you didn't explore any other alternatives than the one that was placed in front of you.
Yeah, no, um, it it was. I was a little frustrated during the week, and we'll get to this as we get to the end. But this mess is a video. This short little video is really deceptive in the words that are being used versus the video footage it's showing. What they're trying to get across. Um, there's a lot of what I can only call manipulation going on and dishonest manipulation. So I'm glad that you're pointing this out. But this was the video that was the germ for the entire show tonight. And we've got another that once again, this is under the rule number two that we are going to try and keep you from hiding, excuse me, keep you from finding the things that we're hiding from you. But when I saw this quote from Elder Oaks, and uh, I think it was from a 2000 and uh, 19. Well, let me think here. It was like 2018 general conference where he's given this message that they're playing the audio of over the video. It made me think of something that he had said back in February of 2019, when he was visiting Chicago, Illinois, and he was talking to the young married couples in the stake. And we do not have an audio of this, but it was published in the church website. And we have a link to that. Let me check. Yeah. I've got you up on the screen here with yay. The- Elder Oaks, and it looks like, I don't know what Sister Oaks looks like. I've never seen her, but I assume that's Sister Oaks. She looks like that. Yeah. That's all her. the time. That's intense. If that's if that's all the time, that's intense. Night and day at dinner, you know, when she goes to bed, when she wakes up, that's how she looks. No, seriously. Um, f- 5th February, 2019. And if you can go down here. Yeah. President Oaks, uh, what was it? Councils young couples defending the gospel on the, on front, the line. front line. Oh, yeah. So they're defending it, right? They're at the mission field. There's always war, isn't there? There's always souls to be won or lost. Yes. The glory is the struggle. So if you go down here next to his face on the right, okay, very good. Very good. Where he says, um, let's see, your generation has grown up with an, I'm reading from the body here, right? Uh, Your generation has grown up with an avalanche of information about the history of the church that is new to many and concerning to some, he said. The time-honored principles of relying on and trusting the Lord and his servants are questioned by some. See, that's the time-honored principle. uh, No church leader is very far away from actually saying this, and he says it here. So it's very clear. you got to be cautious, remember, in his other talk in that video. you got to be cautious about where you go for sources of truth. Here he makes it explicit, as if we didn't already know. The the place that you need to go for sources of truth is to his servants, i.e. to the leaders of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, i.e. Elder Oaks. And he's already said that he's not go- the church's job is not to present a balanced perspective, number one. And number two, I would simply ask the audience, who is the, what is the least accurate source to get um, historical accurate information about the church and to understand how th- doctrines and policies have come and gone in the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints. What, which source is the worst source? And I think if we did a survey of people who are informed, I think the most obvious decision is the church itself. What's surprising is that it is not the CES letter. No, it's not. It's actually the church no. itself. And it's not the, by the way, that video talked about anonymous online sources. Yeah. Isn't, isn't, RFM or Radio Free Mormon, an anonymous online source? Yes. Yeah, yes, he is. On the list. You might have a bubble by now. I would hope so. (laughs) I I just don't want it to burst my bubble. (laughs) But that's not all. That's not all. Because we go down here. If you can go down a little bit further, okay, this is actually the money quote. So there's uh, his wife talking. And if you go down underneath that, 
and right here, right here. So if you can scroll up and have that picture, now Elder Oaks is talking. Go ahead and scroll up. Oh, I keep saying up, I meant down. <laughs> By up, I mean down. <laughs> and go underneath that picture. Here we go. Can you read that, that uh, paragraph? Oh, this is beautiful. President Oaks acknowledges that some Latter-day Saint couples face conflicts over important values and priorities. Matters of church history and doctrinal issues have led some spouses to inactivity. Some spouses wonder how to best go about researching and responding to such issues. Elder Oaks quote, I suggest that research is not the answer. He said, <laughs> what would happen if the spouses of these inactive uh, these inactive folks or folks who have left the church completely, what would happen if the, if the believing spouse went and did the research? They would probably find out that the stuff that is troubling their doubting spouse is actually true and start yeah. doubting along with them. We'd have a lot more troubled people if research was the answer. Yes. Now, I do want to give credit, if you'll hold it right there. I yeah. do want to give credit to the church news or the newsroom. I, it's, I, it's not clear to me that this next line is actually something that Elder Oak said. Once again, we don't have the audio. The church does offer answers to many familiar questions through its gospel topics, essays found at churchofjesuschrist.org. So they do mention it there. And I want to give them credit for that. Something, however, you know, <laughs> according to Elder Oaks, really, you shouldn't be doing any research. So why even bother putting that there? Because you're not supposed to find it this stuff out. However, something that just struck me, and this is a small thing. Did you realize that th they didn't say Latter-day Saint couples, even though that's what you read because you knew that's what it was supposed to be? Latter Saint couples. Yeah. we got a proofreading problem. It is a Latter Saint couple. It, it's obviously a typo. They just need a little help from RFM on the proofreading. Yeah. I'm open to do submission work at a reasonable fee. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, just don't chase the footnotes in those essays. <laughs> right. Right. The essays are bad enough. If you chase the footnotes, then you're going to be going along for a ride with your doubting spouse. But this is the the essays. It should be noted that the essays are another example of we are going to hide stuff from you. They are the most carefully worded, whitewashed uh, examples of how to talk about difficult issues without giving people the real data so that the issue actually is difficult and troubling. And that's if you can find him in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Three or four clicks deep. Yes, exactly. So here he says, I suggest that research is not the answer. This is uh, 2019. Now in this new video, uh, he's being quoted as saying, you got to be careful in your sources that you go to to search for truth. So both of these go to demonstrate that rule number two from the church leadership is we're going to try and make it so you can't find the stuff. We're going to try and keep you from finding the stuff that we're hiding from you. Right. We hit it in the first place. Now we're going to work our asses off, keeping you from finding the stuff that we hid. What is the point in hiding it if you're not going to try and keep people from finding it? I mean, right. it's kind of a natural thing. By the way, I mentioned to you this morning yeah. that when I was a kid, uh, I think every kid has probably done this at some time. You know the game hide and seek. Everybody knows the game hide and seek. But there's this variation on hide and seek where you don't hide yourself. You hide an object in a room and you have the other person leave the room. You hide it so they don't know where it is. And then they walk around the room. And as they walk around the room, as they get closer to whatever it is you've hid, uh, you're supposed to say warmer, warmer. If they're really close, you're going hot. You're really hot. You're burning up. And if they're on the other side of the room, they say, oh, you're cold. You're ice cold. You ever play that game? Yeah. I, yeah. We've done that a lot. As kids. Well, I don't know if I'm the only person who ever thought as a kid that it would be funny to give them the false clues that when they're actually close to the item uh, that they are trying to find to say, oh, you're, you're ice cold. You're ice cold. 
And then when they're far away, say, oh, you're red hot. You're really close to it. And of course, that wouldn't make a lot of sense because ultimately you got to reveal where it is. And as soon as you reveal where it is, the person knows that you've been jacking them around and giving them the wrong clues. So I think everybody's kind of bound in to be sort of honest in this game. But it occurs to me that there's a similarity between what the LDS church is doing with the truth and the bad stuff. They hide the bad stuff. And then when you get close to the bad stuff, they're saying, oh man, you're ice cold, you're ice cold, to get away from there. And when you're over there close to the, the stuff that they want you, the dominant narrative, they want you to, to learn, they say, oh, you're red hot, you're red hot there. So it just strikes me that there's similarity between this child's game and what it is the LDS church does in order to hide the stuff and keep you from finding the stuff that they don't want you to find, the stuff that they're hiding. Right. No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you and I know where we're going to go next. And it just amazes me how these guys talk out of both sides of their mouth. And so anyway, I'm just, I, I love the thoughts here that you put together on these rules. And when you understand this game plan, as you pointed out in your message, once you understand the rules of the game, everything comes together. Well, thank you. I think so. Um, I chalk it up to my muse that was working overtime on this. But rule number three now, we're past rule number one and rule number two. We're going to hide stuff from you. We're going to try and keep you from finding the stuff that we're hiding from you. And number three, we will lie about hiding stuff from you. And here we've got none other. You knew it was going to be Russell and Ballard. It is from November 19th, 2017, the face-to-face -face youth devotional when he's up there on stage with Dallin Oaks. Now, by the way, Dallin Oaks is the one who's already made it clear that the church has no responsibility to tell both sides of the story. Okay. Russell Ballard knows that what he's saying isn't true. Elder Oaks really, really knows that it's not true. And he knows that he's publicly taken a position that's actually contradicted by what Russell Ballard is going to say. So I've gotten to the point where I know this quote so well that I actually enjoy looking at Elder Oaks' face while Elder Ballard is saying it. <laughs> Are you ready to rock and roll with it? He's going to sit there like he's, he's in some sort of form of meditation. <laughs> Elder Oaks, Elder Ballard, we have a lot of questions in the YSA uh, about their friends dealing with doubts. A question from Utah asks, what advice slash guidance would you give for answering tough questions about uh, church history when we are asked about them by someone who's struggling with their faith? I think the first thing uh, is to distinguish between questions and doubts. Some people merge those as if they were the same. A question asked with a sincere desire to increase one's knowledge and understanding is the way to, to increase knowledge. We encourage questions. And on the other hand, a doubt. I have to stop here for just a second. So anything that causes your faith to diminish, that isn't an appropriate thing to have conversations about. But anything that you ask that leads to your faith being added upon that now those kind of things we can do those are allowed right and understand that's their critical difference the 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 parts of the church that they can talk about that others can talk about that don't have to be hidden are the parts that are going to increase your faith if Whether they the do true or not right faith promoting stories are are actual or real or data driven or not truth is the least important part of this analysis bill <laughs> Well, it is. I mean, if it's going to increase your faith, you can talk about it. If it's not going to increase your faith, we don't talk about it. You're not supposed to repeat it. That's a side of the story that the church has no responsibility to tell. 
Yeah. All right. It's not whether it's true. It's not whether it's not true. That's the least important thing. What's important is that stuff that builds your faith gets talked about ad infinitum and the other stuff we're going to hide under the carpet. All right. More crickets and seagulls. Here we go. Is an ambiguous word. Sometimes a doubt is a synonym for a question. You just want to know the truth about something. But one dictionary definition of doubt is a, a, accompanied by distrust, um, a rejection of, of something. And that's the kind of thing that the scriptures have condemned. Uh, uh, the Savior, for instance, said, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? He said that to his apostles when they were in the midst of the storm. And doubt not, but be believing, uh, comes out of Moroni chapter 9. And look unto me in every thought, doubt not, fear not. That's Doctrine and Covenants section 6. So doubt is a confusing word. He's certainly uh, making it confusing. We don't encourage doubt, and the scriptures <laughs> condemn it. I'm On confused. Questions, sincere desire to know that aren't accompanied with a presumption of, of uh, rejection uh, are something that we, that we wish to encourage. And, and some, uh, some are uh, saying that the church has been hiding the fact that there is more than one version of the, of the first vision which is uh, just a, a, a f not true. The facts are we don't study, we don't go back and search what has been said on the subject. For example, Dr. James B. Allen of the BYU in 1970, he, he, he produced By the way, that's the same James Allen who worked side by side with Leonard Arrington. And when they started publishing the actual history of the church, they were removed from their positions and no longer could share things. Is that the same James Allen that we're talking about? Yes. And it's the same James Allen who's going to be writing an article in the improvement era that he's going to be quoting from in 1970, the same article that is not repeat, not available on the church's own website. Okay, perfect. So uh, an article for the church magazines explaining all about the different versions of the first vision. How long ago was that article? 1970. That was back in 1970. So been hiding that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and they still are, right? <laughs> yeah. And it's a great laugh line. But now, now let's hone in on what Elder Ballard has to say and watch Elder Oaks's face as he says it. <laughs> <laughs> but... But it's this, it's this, this, this idea that the church is hiding something, that, which we would have to say as two apostles who have covered the world and know the history of the church and know the integrity of the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve from the beginning of time, there has been no attempt on the part in any way of the church leaders trying to hide anything from anybody. Now we've had the Joseph Smith papers. We didn't have those where they were in our hands now. And, they're, and so we're learning more about the prophet Joseph. As wonderful we are. There's volumes of it. There's so much of in those books now in my bookshelf. Maybe you've read them all, but I haven't got them. I'm a slow reader. That much. 
So just trust us wherever you are in the world and you share this message with anyone else who raises the question about the church not being transparent. We're as transparent as we know how to be in telling the truth. We have to do that. That's the Lord's way. <laughs> so I want to go back here if I can find it. The little because the, the, you're right. This little thing where he uh, where Oaks his face. Yeah, I mean, Elder Ballard knows this isn't true. He knows he's, it's a lie when he's saying it, and he's sitting right next to the guy who's already gone on record as saying that the church has no responsibility to tell both sides of the story. And he's sitting there next to him as Elder Ballard is saying that the church has never lied about anything to anybody. And those poor girls in the front row, do you see the look on their faces? They're actually believing him. Yeah, but when, I hope I can find it here because I think Oaks's face doesn't look like. Uh, yeah, it's right after that because right now he's doing how big the Joseph Smith Papers project I is. I thought it was before that. I think it's right after. I, I could be wrong. Yeah. Anyway, why don't we move on and I'll try to find it because I'll pull it well, up. It is right before it because, yeah, there's two parts, right? It is right before it. But he's just like, he's looking down. He's kind of got a smile on his face. But even Elder Oaks couldn't bring himself to say that whopper, apparently. Yeah, and they're as transparent as they know how to be. But they've already, the, the one of the guys on this stage has already admitted we're not going to be transparent. He's being as transparent as he knows how to be. Just recognize that's not very transparent at all right <laughs> elder ballard has been an apostle just about exactly as long as elder oaks has elder ballard knows the score he knows exactly what's going on he's been there for all of it he knows that the church does not tell everything it studiously hides the stuff that's damaging to people's testimonies about church history whether he thinks he has a good reason for it or not is a different question they've been hiding it and now he's going to say that the church has never hidden anything from anybody. And he might as well say, and Joseph Fielding Smith never uh, hid the 1832 account of the first vision in his safe for three decades, when that as well is true. Yeah, not everything will fit in the safe, will it? Yeah, not we need it. We got to get a bigger safe. Yeah, they're going to have to do that. Um, I couldn't find it. We can move on. It's, it's no big deal. But the look, I remember, I just, as it was playing, I was watching Oak's face, and that looked like a guy who just his head down, his eyes closed, and this smug smirk on his face. And you could almost read body language, which is, we're lying to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can see why he pawned that line off on Elder Ballard. Yeah. Okay, so that's we will lie about hiding stuff from you. That's rule number three. Rule number four is you can't blame us for hiding stuff from you. Now, this is Elder Dallin Oaks. He is famous for saying you're not to criticize leaders of the church, even if the criticism is true. He said that on a number of occasions, but the first time that I'm aware of that he went on record as saying this was back in 1985 in the same talk to the CES people, to the church instructors. It's from that same talk with the same link, even though I provide a new one down there in the notes. Uh, it starts at 3854 and it just goes for less than a minute, 3854 to 3940. Do you have that bill? I think I do. Let's, uh, let's try it. Criticism is particularly objectionable when it is directed toward church authorities, general or local. Jude condemns those who speak evil of dignities. That's Jude 8. Evil speaking of the Lord's anointed is in a class by itself. It is one thing to depreciate a person who exercises corporate power or even government power. 
It is quite another thing to criticize or depreciate a person for the performance of an office to which he or she has been called of God. It does not matter that the criticism is true. There you go. As President George F. Yeah, he's just going to go on to quote somebody else, another leader in the church who said the same kind of thing earlier. So he didn't come up with the idea, but he's the one who's famous for making a bumper sticker slogan out of it. Now, notice this is Elder Oaks in the very same talk where he said that uh, not all truth should be communicated if it's not edifying, i.e. if it's not faith promoting, it should not be communicated. And he's also said that the church has no responsibility to tell both sides of the story. Now he's tying it up with a nice bow saying, and by the way, you don't get to criticize me for saying any of this stuff, no matter how objectionable you may find it, no matter how uh, distasteful it may be that I'm admitting as a leader in the church that we're going to hide things from you and that uh, these bad things should not be communicated one to another, that you can't criticize me for that or anything else. If you're going to sit on stage and say, we're being as transparent as we know how to be, and you're not transparent at all. If you're going to claim you're honest and you're not honest at all, and then there's another rule that says that I can't tell you that you're being dishonest. I can't tell people around you you're being dishonest. You're not being transparent because when I do, I'm not allowed to do that. I'm the guy who gets in trouble. If you remember, Elder Holland, liar, liar, pants on fire is what got me in trouble. These guys break the rules and then set it up so that you can't call them out for breaking the rules because then you're the bad guy. Yes, as Nipsey Russell saying in uh, The Wiz, you can't win, you can't get even, and you can't get out of the game. Yeah. What, what's the, whose line is it anyway, the, where the points are double or tripled and the questions don't matter, right? <laughs> by the way, by the way, don't leave that too soon because I recall that the experience you had actually in your excommunication council was that your state president ended up agreeing with you. Yeah. that it was demonstrable, incontrovertible, that yeah. Elder Holland had lied. In the disciplinary council, I asked my, by the way, you can find the transcript and the actual audio, and you can go listen and watch, uh, read it and watch, or I shouldn't say watch, you can listen to it and read it. And I asked my stake president, did Elder Holland lie? And he said, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if Elder Holland lied, because my stake president privately admitted to me that it sounded a hell of a lot like Elder Holland lied on multiple occasions. Now, he's going to be a loyal trooper, and he's not going to say that publicly, and he's not going to ask Elder Holland any of that, but he, he believed Elder Holland had lied, and he told me it didn't matter if that's the case. You can't criticize the leaders of the church, which, by the way, there's the rule. And what it means is they have carte blanche. They have immunity from any wrongdoing, they can lie. They can do whatever it is they want. I'm not saying that they're horrible, evil people. Okay. I but am. I am saying, okay. I am. <laughs> but I am saying that what we're demonstrating tonight is that they hide stuff. They, they try and keep you from finding the stuff they're hiding. They will lie about hiding stuff. And now they're going to uh, say that if you call them out, you can't criticize them for hiding stuff. Because if you do, the fault is not with them. For lying, the fault is with you for pointing it out. Yeah, and also just a note here: um, he, these guys have no problem pointing to scriptures that most people have. I mean, how many Mormons have read Jude? You know, like I don't think that many. I don't think it's even in the Sunday school manual. Um, 
they have no problem pointing to scripture for precedent of why they get to say the things they say, but they also get to ignore scripture. For instance, when we covered the new handbook changes and their own rules say that the high council has to be present for a disciplinary court and they create new rules whenever they want to, they get to use the scriptures or disregard them whenever the hell they want. Mm. Yes. The devil cites scripture to suit his purpose. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So there's that. And I think that's very clear now that we've demonstrated from the horse's mouth, so to speak, that you can't blame us for hiding stuff from you. And now we get to rule number five, which is if you talk about the things we're hiding from you, we will hide you. See rule number two. So we've already gotten a number of quotes along this line. There is some overlap in the quotes that we're giving between the different categories. Uh, research is not the answer. Be cautious in your search for truth. These are ways to hide people who are speaking the truth to try and marginalize and silence and even cancel them as best they can. Now, we've got a, about five different quotes here, a lot of them from General Conference, and they're brief quotes, but they all go along the same line about trying to get saints members of the church, to not listen to those annoying, vexing people on the internet who are talking about Mormonism in a way that's more honest and transparent than the LDS church has been doing, at least for the last five decades. First one, if you got those up, first one is Neil L. Anderson, Elder Anderson. The talk is titled Trial of Your Faith. It's October 2012, General Conference. We have them from like the last three decades here, these, these comments. And he's talking about trials of your faith. And of course, one of the trials is going to have to do with this issue. Do you have that up there with timestamp 840? Ready to rock and roll. Here it is. Give I unto you. Here is another trial. There have always been a few who want to discredit the church and to destroy faith. Today, they use the internet. Some of the information about the church, no matter how convincing, is just not true. Boom. In 1985. That was it there. He's going to go on and talk about the, the salamander letter and how that ended up being a forgery. Boy, the best thing ever happened to the church was, yeah, it, was what that if those ended up being forgeries. Yeah, what if that would, the, the best thing that happened was Mark Hoffman getting himself in trouble because had that gone another decade or so and Hoffman had been just a little better at it, we would have had so many issues with the stuff Hoffman was producing and these guys falling for it. If what Hoffman had produced was actually authentic documents, you can bet your ass that Neil Anderson wouldn't be mentioning this in his talk trial of your faith. Oh, absolutely. You're right. So that was the best thing because now we can take that example of a forgery that caused quite a stir in the church and challenged the faith of a lot of people. He can use that as an emblem to insinuate though he doesn't say it exactly right to insinuate that pretty much anything that's said that sounds really bad about the church, well, this is just like the Hoffman forgery. It's just not true, no matter how convincing. It's just not true. So the next one, and if you have any comments between these, please go ahead and chime in. No, no, I'm good. We can keep going along. Okay, the next one is from Bishop. I think he was the first counselor in the presiding bishopric. Uh, I'm sure you've all heard of him. I didn't remember him. Richard C. Edgeley. This is from April 1993 General Conference. So this is April 1993. It's the last general conference before September of 1993, and six individuals get excommunicated. This talk is prologue to the omen coming on of the September 6 excommunication. It's called Keep the Faith, and it starts in timestamp 618 and just goes to timestamp 7.00. 
There are the so-called learned that have let their intellect undermine their spiritual so moorings, and who would also attempt to lead the faithful away from those who are appointed by the Lord to lead. There are those who feel that our leaders are out of touch with the realities of the day. They would attempt to lead members by substituting their own knowledge for the, for the revelations from God to His prophets. And unfortunately, there are those who would so follow. Christ warned, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. There you go. An attempt to further prepare the same. That was it. Okay. So, I mean, it's getting to the point now where you'll hear a message like this pretty much in every general conference at least once, if not more. These are representative samples. Did you have any comment about that particular quote, Bill? No, it's it's just a little emotionally uh, disturbing to me when I now look back as an outsider and I see all the efforts made to paint the truth tellers the transparent people, the people who really are being transparent and really are being honest, to paint them as the bad guys. And this church has survived from its inception by making the truth tellers the scoundrels. That's very, very good point. Very insightfully put. Okay, so for the next one, we're just rocking through these so that you can see this pattern. And it's really interesting when you put them all back to back. I think it has a certain effect that's clearer than if you just listen to them uh, in the midst of everything else that's talked about in general conference. This is from Elder Vern P. Stanfill. Once again, a fellow who deserves more recognition, I think. His, um, his talk was Choose the Light. It's from October 2015 General Conference. This is timestamp 428. Okay, give me about... And it goes for a little over two minutes, I think, to 532. Actually, that's a little over one minute. It's not so bad. So 428. Yep, here we go. Best interest at heart. When we consider thoughtfully, why would we listen to the faceless, cynical voices of those in the great and spacious buildings of our time and ignore the pleas of those who genuinely love us? These ever-present naysayers prefer to tear down rather than elevate and to ridicule rather than uplift. Their mocking words can burrow into our lives often through split-second bursts of electronic distortions, carefully and deliberately composed to destroy our faith. Is it wise to place our eternal well-being in the hands of strangers? Is it wise to claim enlightenment from those who have no light to give or who may have private agendas hidden from us? These anonymous individuals, if presented to us honestly, would never be given a moment of our time. But because they exploit social media hidden from scrutiny, they receive undeserved credibility. There may be more. Is there more after that? One more line. Okay. Our choice to heed those who mock sacred things will distance us from the saving and life-giving light of the Savior. Okay, there you go. The, the idea that it's the it's the... Critic. The critic is the guy who, you know, he's he's couching things, he's putting it in certain terms, he's really conniving behind the scenes. That that's not my been my experience at all. Like I'm happy, you and I are happy to sit down with any apologist and have a frank and honest and open conversation about the issues of the church, 
you and I would give ample time. I'd set a whole day aside. I would go from seven in the morning until 10 at night if one of these guys were willing to do that. And they don't because they're the guys who can't handle the rebuttal. They're the guys who get to say their words in a, in a vacuum, isolated and distance away from the logical follow-up questions that need to be asked. It's not you. It's not me. It's not John DeLynn. It's not Jeremy Runnels. It's not any of those guys. Those aren't the guys who are hiding. It's these guys. I will tell you that when he's talking about all the craftiness and putting the words together and being so uh, deliberately deceptive in the way they present things, these are the critics of the church he's talking about. I don't know. There are probably some examples of that, I'm sure. I know that you and I try and be very clear, very uh, as uh, honest and true to the facts as we possibly can, let our audience know where we're speculating and what the source is. I mean, this entire exercise is uh, not just us saying, these are the five rules of the church and ha ha ha. This is us saying, these seem to be the five rules of the leaders of the church. And by the way, here's all the quotes that we're going to adduce in order to demonstrate that we are correct in making this list of five rules of the church. Now, if you disagree with uh, uh, these uh, quotes, you think they don't support what it is, that's fine. That's totally up to you. I just think this is a pretty powerful presentation, but the final ruling will be up to the listener on that regard. But to finish that thought that I was laboring toward is that the the convoluted language and the craftiness and the artfulness of what is said, I see that a lot more in what the leaders of the church have to say. And I've seen a lot of examples of that tonight where they're so careful in what they say in order to give a certain impression without actually necessarily lying. They actually seem to want to not lie about things They want to carve things so carefully that they give um, what it's called equivocation. They want to give the impression that uh, they're saying something without actually using the word so that if they get called on it, then they can say, oh, well, that's not what I said. I didn't really say that. I just meant to give that impression. Um, So uh, that's why one of the the examples that's so different is where Elder Ballard just goes all in. and He says nobody in this church has ever lied about anything to anybody when that's so manifestly. Not true. It says they've never hidden it from anybody. Yeah, you did an episode where Elder Ballard blows up the church where he says this quote, and then you laid out, I think, like 13 examples of the church being dishonest and lying. Uh, One, I think I remember, was the Ronald Pullman talk in 1984, which is right around the same time that these older talks are. Mm -hmm. Pullman gives a gorgeous talk about once you've woke up to, to the reality of what it means to be a human being and you kind of develop your own inner authority. You no longer need the church. And they had him stand in an empty pulpit with a cough track in the background, re-give the talk, telling members that rather than you get to not need the church, you absolutely need the church. Jump back in. Cradle to grave, birth to earth, sperm to worm. <laughs> oh, boy, oh, boy. You're My best lines come from West Side Story. Sorry. I love it. So anyway, anyway, so I think the point has been made, but let's just really um, drive that last coffin nail in with two more quotes, okay, from two of your favorites. Once again, Elder Neil Anderson. Neil Anderson apparently has a penchant for wanting to address this issue. Then we'll round it out with uh, the other favorite, Elder Quentin L. Cook, both of these from General Conference. Neil Anderson, from his talk appropriately titled Fruit. Seriously, that's the name of his talk. Fruit from the October 2019 General Conference, timestamp 441. This will go to 518, so it's less than a minute. Listen carefully. In our world today, 
the adversary's construction crews are working overtime, hastily inflating the large and spacious building. The expansion has spread across the river, hoping to envelop our homes, while the pointers and the scoffers wail day and night on their internet megaphones. President Nelson explained, the adversary is quadrupling his efforts to disrupt testimonies and impede the work of the Lord. Let us remember Lehi's words. We heeded them not. There we go. So Although once again, do not fear. That was it there. So once again, the idea we're gonna if you talk about the things that we are hiding, we will hide you. We will marginalize you and make it so that as best we can that members of the church will not listen to you. You will become anathema to them. And by the way, when he's talking about pointing and mocking, I always have to think of the famous saying that it takes a big man to cry, but it takes a bigger man to point at that man and laugh. <laughs> Here, I've got one of the comments I want you to address. Uh-oh, what? So David McKay, and I know David. David is David knows the church is messy. He knows that it doesn't add up, um, at least to a degree. And but David just wants to play nice and he wants he just wants it to be left alone so that we can all just get along and everybody can enjoy their time in the church that's in there. So your thoughts on his question, does hitting on the church ever feel like beating a dead horse to you guys? Well, yeah, it does. But I happen to love beating dead horses. <laughs> just it, right? Dead, beating a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. And this, oh, no. sorry. Go ahead. No, these guys do it to themselves. They're dishonest. They, they, if they stood up and they were honest and transparent about the history of the church and the problems that are therein, then we wouldn't have anything to talk about. But the point that there are people who entrust their lives to a system that withholds the relevant information that allows you to deconstruct the system itself and discover that it's not true, then somebody has to stand up and shine a light on the information so that people have the ability to take this damn thing apart and be able to walk away having developed their own inner authority and their own dignity back to release some of the trauma that's been given to them unnecessarily and to move on with their happy and healthy lives. I tell you, um, can I modify from my point of view what you just said while respecting the, what you said for yourself? I would just say uh, the same idea that uh, these people know for the last 10 years, they know that people are, oh, he <laughs> agrees with you? Okay, done. We're done here. That's the end of that question. <laughs> tell it like it is, Bill. Oh, boy. Oh, goodness. Good job. I just think that people um, deserve to have all the information yeah. that when an organization, whether it's a church or otherwise, is requiring of their members the time and commitment and effort that is required of members of this church, that they owe it to them to be honest with them, to tell both sides of the story. Yes, actually, I'm going to disagree. I'm going to even criticize Elder Rose, and I'm going to criticize him because I'm going to tell him, yes, you do have the responsibility to tell both sides of the freaking story, Elder Oaks, and all of you apostles who are not telling both sides and you know who you are because it's all of you, including Elder Anderson there. They are hiding things, they know they're hiding things, and they're doing it because they know that if they tell you the stuff they're hiding, that there is a high likelihood that you will leave the church. Yeah. And that's what they're trying to avoid. They are being paternalistic. I know it's a... Um, uh, patriarchal religion, but it's also very paternalistic in that it treats the members as children. You can't handle all the information because if you had all the information, you might not do what we know is best for you. 
And therefore, instead of treating you like adults and giving you the information so you can make your own decision about what you're going to do with your own lives, we are going to hide it from you so that you won't know it and so that you will hopefully continue to do what it is we tell you to do. Yeah. And by the way, look at the comment there. Always shoot a lame horse. Always. <laughs> Absolutely. They shoot horses, don't they? Yeah. Um, We've got a couple more. Can we just let, blitz through these? Let's do it. Okay. Uh, so we had Neil. No, we got one more because we just did Neil L. Anderson. Yeah. Uh, and Elder Quentin L. Cook uh, is going to finish this off with, Can ye feel so now? which of course is a, a quote from Alma five in October, 2012 general conference. So uh, can you feel still feel to sing the song of redeeming love? If you did feel it, can you feel so now this is what he's riffing off of starting in 3.52. By the way, before I start the audio, uh, yeah. go look up Gene or not Gene cook, but look up Quentin cook in the hospital deal. He did uh, about 15, 20 years ago, I think it was uh, and how he screwed a city out of a land deal so that the hospital could be built and then put him, you know, then he got himself on the board of the hospital. That's on his Wikipedia page, by the way. You can go read some of that. Uh, the, the church can't control all internet uh, narratives. Uh, that's kind of a fun read. But here is that guy, Elder Quentin Cook. Surprising that some in the church believe they can't answer Alma's question with a resounding yes. They do not yes. feel so now, <laughs> they feel they're in a spiritual drought. Others are angry, hurt, or disillusioned. If these descriptions apply to you, it is important to evaluate why you cannot feel so now. Many who are in a spiritual drought and lack commitment have not necessarily been involved in major sins or transgressions, but they have made unwise, unwise choices. Some are casual in their observance of sacred covenants. Others spend most of their time giving first-class devotion to lesser causes. Some allow intense cultural or political views to weaken their allegiance to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some have immersed themselves in internet materials that magnify, exaggerate, and in some cases invent shortcomings of early church leaders. Then they draw incorrect conclusions that can affect testimony. Any who have made these choices can repent and be spiritually renewed. Immersion in the scriptures is essential for spiritual nourishment. The Word of God inspires commitment and acts as a healing balm for hurt feelings. I think we're past it. I, let me say just really quick before you jump in, and I'll, I'll get mm -hmm. out of the next minute. It's okay. Um, when you have the truth on your side, there really I don't really have any fear in presenting both sides. I'm, I'm happy to have the other side, and I'm even happy to give benefit of the doubt where I can. Um, the truth will sift to the top. It will, it will, it will make its way. It'll, it'll, it'll figure out its way to, to come out. When you present all the data and you are balanced and you allow all these narratives at the table, the truth will win. The guys who don't want you to have the other side of the argument, those are the guys you ought to be wary of. Yes. Good point. I really, I really liked, actually, I was looking too much at the comments at the bottom of the screen yeah, yeah. and I lost track of the fact that he'd gone past the part where we wanted to have the quote. And I really love the part where he talks about uh, looking at the internet and finding out negative history about the church. He characterizes it as a sin. He says, some have immersed themselves in internet materials that magnify, exaggerate, and in some cases invent shortcomings of early church leaders. Notice he doesn't just say it tells the truth. Okay, then they draw incorrect conclusions that can affect testimony. 
Any who have made these choices can repent and be spiritually renewed. So now just looking to find out the the other half of the story that Elder Oaks has said he's not going to tell you and that they're not telling you, that is sinful behavior. And if you do that, well, good news is you can still repent yeah. and be spiritually nude and knock it off. Yeah. And look, look at all the terms we have for people who are outside the church who were once in, right? We have apostates. We've got the tares. Um, we've got, um, you know, sinners, they're lazy. They, they don't, they lack faith there. We have all these phrases and words and, uh, vernacular to label people who have left. And we can't just say, you know what? They learned the data. They made the best decision they could. And they, they followed the integrity of their soul and, and honor them for leaving. Instead, we have to always have name calling, always belittling, always demeaning. It's, it's yeah. Black sheep's another one. I just saw that in the comments. There are tons of them and it's, it's, it's absolute bull crap to continually label somebody uh, with these negative terms, simply to scare your believing members into not trusting them. Yeah, I agree a million percent. So those are the rules of the game, which I think we have documented pretty well are admitted to by the church leaders. Rule number one, we are going to hide stuff from you. Rule number two, we are going to try to keep you from finding the stuff we are hiding from you. Rule number three, we will lie about hiding stuff from you. And rule number four, you can't blame us for hiding stuff from you. And rule number five, if you talk about the things we are hiding from you, we will hide you. Okay, so Bill, did you want to talk any more about that most recent video to the youth of the church featuring the voice of Elder Oaks? Because I know I was kind of surprised when we were talking yesterday morning, you were just looking at it. It was hitting you kind of strong and you had an unexpected emotional response, as I recall. Yeah, and I'll be quick, which is I, you know, you, you and I said, okay, well, that's what we're going to do an episode on. And you, this was your turn. You're preparing all this stuff. And so you're calling me and we're talking about it. And I watched the video one morning, it's about 7, 7.30 a.m. And I, I watched this Elder Oaks thing. And it's three minutes and three seconds long in search of truth. And what I realize is that um, it becomes dem demonstrable to me. I'm, I'm not saying it's true, but I'm saying that I think it's true. That there's no other way to do all of these games in the background. And when you watch this three minute and three second video, and, and I would just encourage folks to go do it again. I think we will play maybe a minute or so of it again. When you understand all the twists and turns that have to be done, all the finagling that has to be done to create a video so that nobody can really criticize it because you're saying the right things. But by adding in the video footage, you're insinuating other things and you're manipulating your audience into thinking one thing and distrusting another. And the reality is if you're just honest and look in the mirror, LDS church, you're the ones who have not told the truth. That kind of mass scale of people in the room, but I was pointing out to you the other day was that you have to have people in the room, smart people, who work together to go, no, we shouldn't say it that way. We got to make sure we say this. We should, we should pause here. We should make sure we say this word. We should cuff this and this language. It is so conniving behind the scenes that I don't have any choice but to see the 15 men as knowing the church is a deception and their loyalty to the system trumps their integrity and their honesty. Like people say all the time, do these guys know, do these 15 men know the church isn't true? And are they intentionally deceiving us? 
And when I watch the media materials that the church puts out, like this video in search of truth, I cannot watch this without knowing in my heart of hearts that these men are intentionally deceiving the membership of the church. Hence, I don't have any choice but to say they know, that they know the church is a fraud and they will do whatever it takes. By the way, those quotes that we started off with point to that as well, that, that they will do whatever it takes to, con- to perpetuate the system no matter how much false narrative that system is based on, they will try to get away with whatever leeway they can, and they will intelligently couch their words in certain ways so as to manipulate the viewer, the listener, the reader at all times into a faithful direction when the data leads you otherwise. Very well put. Do you mind if we play this one more time? No, we're going to take some calls too. Yeah, yeah. let's play play a little bit of this. And notice- up to the 127 mark, okay? Yeah, yeah. Notice the words, words, notice the background video footage. Notice how those words are framed and which words are chosen carefully and what they're trying to get the audience to, the viewer to think and feel and do. And then you tell me these guys don't know the reality of where the data leads and they will do whatever it takes to point you in the faithful direction that is based on a, a fictional narrative, essentially. This is breaking news. This just into our newsroom. It's tough to be able to discern what's true and what's not because you are being bombarded so much. On the internet, there's so many things that people are just throwing at you that it's just, they don't get to know the truth for themselves and it's just from what they see first. I think most people my age already know that not everything you read on the internet is true. So what I've learned was you look at the source. It can kind of be confusing sometimes because there's contradicting statements everywhere and you don't really know what to believe for yourself. You know, eventually, I guess there comes a point in everyone's life where you have to find out the truth for yourself. We live in a time of greatly expanded and disseminated information. We need to be cautious as we seek truth and choose sources for that search. We should not consider secular prominence or authority as qualified sources of truth. We should be cautious about relying on information or advice offered by entertainment stars prominent athletes, or anonymous internet sources. Our personal decisions should be based on information from sources that are qualified on the subject and free from selfish motivations. I go for... Is that 127? Yes. And notice the implication that leaders of the church are free from selfish motivations. Yeah, I'm... How much do they get paid and how many billions do they have sitting around? And do we know if they get like a debit card to like an escrow fund? Like I've, I've been told, and by the way, there's other sources for this too. These guys have a lot more money than just the uh, stipend or salary they get. Um, and can I just say that I am not limiting the definition of selfish yeah. to monetary oh, selfishness. Everybody stands up in the room, right? And remember, remember there's the, there's the presentation where they weren't standing up and I think it was Gary Stevenson goes and tells everybody, Tells the leaders, go make those guys stand up before I walk in. Like yeah. these guys love the accolades. 
Um, they love what comes from this. And, and it's, I think it's just nonsense to say they don't. I probably would work till I was 90 if I could get all the praise these guys do and, and keep getting all the rewards that come with this, with these uh, callings and stewardships, you know, I'm loaded with selfish motivations, Bill. I just wish I could break down $120,000 a year base pay from this podcast. Yeah. Someday, my friend, keep it up listeners, by the way, your, your donations are appreciated very much. Yeah. And, you know, it would be nice to do this full time and uh, record tons of stuff. Um, but I can promise you this. I'll be honest about it. I won't tell you that I'm a, a, lay, a lay broadcaster, a lay podcaster uh, who gets, you know, from an unpaid ministry. I won't do that kind of nonsense. So anyway, I, I guess that's enough for me. I, I just, if. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. It must be getting late. It took me a while to get what you were referring to. Yeah, uh, how the church puts out the message all the time that there's an unpaid ministry until it couldn't right until it got caught with its hand in the cookie jar and Elder Iring's check is on the front page of the internet. These guys continually said like we're not going to tell you and our our vernacular is we're an unpaid lay ministry we don't get any money. Um, you know Peter James and John took no purse or script. Um, and even after that story broke, I was surprised to see a talk in general conference that made the claim again. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't have a problem with people making money. Just let's be honest about it. Let's yeah. you know, be honest about all the, again, balance, transparent. Uh, let's share the information. Let's talk about it. Yeah, don't tell us you're not paid when you are. Yeah. And Gordon Hinckley, don't tell us it's a modest stipend when you know. Uh, I think it's it's not a stipend, number one, and it's not modest. No, it is not. That stipend is not obeying the law of chastity. No, no, no it's not. Oh my goodness. Yes. Anyway, I'm, that's all for me. Okay. Callers. Yeah. Let Are me, you still awake? Let me put the banner up again. I don't know what number you guys used last week, but it we, was a, it uh, was a number that uh, Jonathan had come up with. Yes. Dirt. I like fist better. Banner. Yeah. Let me, I'll edit here real quick. We'll just put in uh fist. There we are. Thank you. Everybody has to wait while we put in the, the acronym we like best. So it's um, four, three, five, 200. Fist. Yeah. And let me uh let me pull up Google Voice here and I'll move it over. All right, folks. The phone lines are open. We should have put that up maybe a touch sooner and give you a chance, but 435, which is the area code for Southern Utah, uh, where I reside, 200 fist. Boom. You have a bigger fist than I do. Well, that's because I'm closer to the camera. By the way, you I have this, a bigger everything than I do. Kind of cool, maybe listeners. So this what? year. You barely see this, but oh, those kittens. No, 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 no kittens. That's iron banded jasper. These are Genesis stones. I'll put one up close so you can see. This is the same material that the seer stone is made out of. Hmm. And our pawn shop here in southern Utah just procured um, about uh, forty of these, and uh, and we are selling them if somebody's Charlie. interested. So uh, you can reach out uh, through Facebook to me if you want your own iron banded Jasper Mormon seer stone. And I'm happy to, I'm happy to secure a sale or two from that uh, for the pawn shop, but on to bigger and better things. Our first call, we've got Charlie, Charlie, you are on Mormonism live. Uh, what do you, what do you have for us tonight? Well, I was just uh, thinking about what he said. Um, I mean, Elder Ballard talking about how they had uh, four, uh, different versions of the first vision and how it's always been out there, but I would have liked to see anybody try to give a talk about those things or give a lesson about those things before this last year, maybe even 
two years ago. That would have gone over like a lead balloon. And I'm also thinking this is probably why uh, they hammered so hard on us growing up in the 90s about porn on the Internet, because they knew it was actually going to be the truth of the church on the Internet. And so they wanted to keep us off there at all costs. Yeah. In between your porn videos, you might have been looking up Joseph's treasure digging, right? Exactly. Um, yeah, based on the messages of the church now, it's it's uh, I think it's a toss up as to which they're more concerned about people accessing on the Internet. Yeah. And I just want to note here, RFM, that you couldn't use that 1972 James Allen talk or that that article. 1970. All right. 1970. Let's be exact. Could, you could not have used that article and conveyed a lot of the data. They're really the article really doesn't even cover the issue. It briefly mentions it. Yeah. And they treat that as if that's the, like, hey, we laid it all out there, guys. Um, one little brief mention without any kind of context or significant data in one article in a magazine that you can't access on the internet today isn't sufficient. Um, it's just not. Right. And of course, by that time, they had to bring it up because remember, it had been forced out in the open by Gerald and Sandra Tanner in the mid 60s. And finally, it was brought to light in 65, but it was allowed to be published in that um, uh, master's thesis by Chessman. And um, so now it's been coughed up. It's out in public. People are talking about it. And so now, of course, we've got to write an article about it. That's the background on why it was that they even mentioned it in this article in 1970. Perfect. Uh, our second call here is, I believe, Nathan. Nathan, you are on Mormonism Live with Radio Free Mormon and Bill Real. What uh, what's on your mind? Hey, fellas, it's, uh, I've talked to you guys recently a few podcasts ago. Uh, I mean, if you're a local century down here in Las Vegas, uh, my question and wonder is this: Back when you guys saying how you have to be aware of uh, false prophets and sheep clothing, I think a few of the youth have noticed that, and most of us we actually dug in deep and notice a little bit more subtle nuances about our day-to-day -day lives and so when when we go back in uh i forget which chapter or verse but i know it's within third nephi they're talking about having the other tribe being a darker skin and that's what really confused me while i was growing up and nobody really addressed that so i went straight to the source so i actually developed a lot of uh high-ranking friends so to say, like one of them is an NFL player and where I've got to an understanding being growing up in Las Vegas, we've, we had a click in a different degree where most societies would have. And for our LDS community, I went from war to ward, meeting house to meeting house, and it always felt the same. And I always find out a little bit of the little whispers within the within the members about what has happened within that ward or who had a step down. And I think what will hap what happened for Las Vegas area was so many of the brethren that's supposed to hold their regards, they they lost their way. And now does it lean down on the youth to come back and actually be the better source? Perfect. Thank you, my friend. Appreciate it. You're welcome. Um, I, th I think there's, in what he's saying, I think there's something to the idea that um, people will, if, if they're given the chance, if, they're, if they can start to think and go, you know what, something doesn't feel right here. 
if they'll go off and do the research, because research isn't the answer, if they go off and do the research, the reality is most people who go down the rabbit hole, I think, end up either non-believing or completely outside the church. And, and it really is a matter of someday you have to just wake up and go, what if I didn't just solely trust my insider information? What if I considered outside sources? What would those sources say? And what if I weighed the information, insider and outsider, what if I weighed the information on its merit rather than whose mouth it's coming out of? And then I think the whole game changes. You're muted. You're muted. <laughs> Sorry. In what other field of endeavor would you ever hear the expression from a leader? Eh, I don't think research is the answer. Yeah. No other fact <laughs> in life would research not be the answer. No, of course not. And so if you stop doing the special pleading that we do internally for the church, because it's our church and just try and look at it objectively in some sense, it's just ridiculous. If it were said in another church, if a Jehovah's Witness leader said it to the Jehovah's Witness, you know, really, uh, I'm going to suggest you research isn't the answer. We'd go, yeah, I, I, it sure isn't. And I know why you're saying that, because you don't want your members to research it. And yet we seem to have this inability to say it about our own religion. Right, right. No, I'm with you. And other systems do this too. I remember using a soundbite from the Jehovah Witnesses uh in the podcast Cognitive Dissidence that has, I don't know, 13 or 14, 15 episodes. And there's a part there where the Jehovah Witness leader is telling his membership the same thing. You can't trust the internet. You know, our, our, the people who have left, they're, they're, they're deceived by Satan. They're bad people. The message isn't any different from system to system when it's an unhealthy, high-demand, fundamentalist religion uh, trying to keep its members from looking on the internet and discovering that its narrative is complete bunk. Um, we could take one more call. One, four, three, five, 200 fist. And uh, we'll wait here for another minute or two and take another call. If somebody out there wants to, to jump in. Um, but yeah, research, research. If you want to, if you want to keep believing research, isn't the answer. And I know I get it. There's the, there's the Dan Hardy's of the world. There's the folks out there, uh, maybe David McKay, who, who know the data and they still don't, for whatever reason, it doesn't come apart. I, I get that. But I think for most people who go down the rabbit hole, uh, it does. Call from Laren. Laren, is that is that the name, Laren? Is that, do I have that right? Yes. Laren, welcome yes, to Mormonism Live. You are on with RFM and Bill Real. Uh, what, oh uh, what's gosh. on your mind tonight? So nervous, but... <laughs> Me too. Um, Thousands of people are listening to you right now, Laren. A little earlier on in your episode um, about this whole situation reminds me of the movie A Few Good Men. Um, and so I kind of wanted to go on a little bit more about that in that I'm trying to follow the Brene Brown, I think that's her name, approach yeah. to trying to like give everybody the benefit of the doubt and with the leadership you know, I, I totally see them as the Jack Nicholson character, <laughs> but, um, you know, maybe for the most part, they just kind of assume that the average member is just not emotionally prepared to deal with, um, the trauma of learning the truth, kind of like in that movie. Um, I don't know, just thought I'd get your opinion on it. 
Yeah, right. You need me on that wall. You want me on that wall. You, Colonel. You snotty little bastard. Your Honor, I'd like to ask for a recess. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. The court will wait for an answer. If Lieutenant Kendrick gave an order that Santiago wasn't to be touched, then why did he have to be transferred? Colonel, Lieutenant Kendrick ordered the code red, didn't he? Because that's what you told Lieutenant Kendrick to do. Object! And when it went bad, you cut cases. these guys loose! Your Honor, you had Marcus inside a bony transfer! Your Honor! You doctored the logbook! Damn it, Captain! You coerced the doctor! Consider yourself in contempt! You. Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? You don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled you to You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you can possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago, and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know, that Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, code, loyalty. We use these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to. Did you order the code red? I did the job. Did you order the code red? You're goddamn right I did. Um, uh, you need people in charge who are willing to bend the rules and be dishonest so that we protect you. That is the gist. Yep. So and, you can sleep at night. Yeah, so that you can sleep at night. So you can rest your pretty little head. Thank you very mm -hmm. much, Lauren. Lauren. And you, you guys are totally the Tom Cruises. <laughs> Thank you. I, Thank you. I think of myself more as Demi Moore. <laughs> Thank you. Have a great day. All right. I'm going to X out that screen and. Uh, you X out the screen, out the screen for the, for the calls. And so no more phone calls. That'll be the last one for the night. At least unless you want me to put it back up, I I'm good to go. go no, ahead. you know, some night we should just do an entire thing of phone uh, calls. Yeah. That'll thinking, be on the night that I'm responsible for the content. Yeah. Not you, by the way. I'm thinking I've, I've got a good friend who's got a really funny missionary story. And I think what I'm going to do is ask him to come on next week, <clears throat> tell his story, and then we can take phone calls from the listeners about their funny missionary stories. So get, get your funny missionary stories ready and we can do some phone calls and do that. Um, I'm thinking that's what we'll do next week, but I, I want to say great job RFM. You called me a couple times this week and, and you laid out these rules you went and you did such a lot of legwork to go find these quotes and find these videos, find the timestamps. Um, I don't think the listener, the viewer can walk away from this without understanding no ifs, ands, or buts. These guys are always giving contradictory messages and they're always protecting the system from the truth and trying to perpetuate a false narrative. And I just want to say kudos to you for putting this, uh, this one together. 
Well, thank you. There is a certain dichotomy between the persistent message that this is the one and only true and living church upon the face of the earth versus this other message that we're not going to tell you half of the truth about the church because you can't handle the truth. Those two messages you don't seem to make sense. The truth. That's the few good men. You yeah. can't handle the truth. That's oh, right. I thought that was the famous part. That's the line, my friend. You nailed it. Great Thank you. Job. Perfect. Um, what what did what did our friend uh, Boyd K. Packer say? Mormonism live, better than touching your own little factory. Yeah.